well as trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like This is the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's summer, at least stateside, and we hope you're relaxing, getting some much-needed R&R, vitamin D, and all the things the other seasons couldn't give you. And this summer, we're exercising some rest ourselves, but while we're recharging, we're sharing pieces of episodes from some of our favorite podcasts. Consider this your summer reading, but an audio version that you might actually do. Your summer listening. Today, we have an episode from our friends at The Trail Ahead, a podcast at the intersection of race, environment, history, culture, and the outdoors. We hope you enjoy, and we'll be back next week with more episodes of the Well and Good podcast. Welcome to The Trail Ahead, conversations at the intersection of race, environment, history, culture, and the outdoors. We're your hosts, Faith and Addie. We bring on folks from all walks of life to have real, authentic, messy dialogue that can lead to tangible change. Here's a sneak peek from today's guest. Because we just shout, you know, self-care at people, but we're not giving them space to actually engage in self-care, then it doesn't matter. I think in that post, I was like, yeah, pull yourself up by your sheet mask. That's not going (laughs) to save anybody. Right. What we need is people saying, oh, I see that you're working two jobs and maybe you have kids or someone else that you're taking care of. Is there some way I can support you so that you can have a break? Things like that. That's community care. That's showing up for people. You just heard Laura Edmondson, our podcast guest this week. Laura is a digital educator, a climber, and the host of a podcast herself, Let Us Rest, Focus on Rest as a Radical Act. We met up with Lara on the lands of the Western Apache, Tono Odom, and many other Native nations, where she and her partner Alex were living in an artist community. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. 
my name is Lara Edmondson. I use she and her pronouns. I am originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where I'm calling in from. Very rarely here these days. I am a digital creator on Instagram. I'm a dog mom with a new little puppy in my life, which is making that identity feel really present. I'm an educator. I'm a transracial adoptee. I'm an outdoorist, rock climber, hiker, camper, all the things. I'm a Libra and a Hufflepuff also. I'll throw those in there. Yes. I love those. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that makes me happy. I love that. I also love that you use the word outdoorist, which I don't hear very much. I guess you could say outdoors person, but I feel like there's like outdoorsmen and outdoors women, and it feels very gendered. So I like the outdoorist is broad, and it's a newer term, like you said, like it's not that familiar to people. So I feel like there's less expectation placed on it of if you're an outdoors woman, then you must have done some hard stuff and... I don't really think I have. I've done some fun stuff outdoors, though. So that's, I think, why outdoorist resonates. Outdoors woman, I think that someone's, like, splitting timber. Yeah. You've got an axe, <laughs> a flannel shirt. <laughs> There's you definitely an image. Forage. Yeah, exactly. That's not yeah. me, and I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> On that question, when we say playing outside, what does that make you think of? Like, where do you go when you hear that term, playing outside? That immediately brings me back to summer camp. That was like one of the first places that I really fell in love with the outdoors was a summer camp here in Tennessee that I grew up going to from the age six to age like 14. And then I worked there for two summers. I loved it. But we would always go and do this thing called Critter Hunt. There's a little creek that ran through camp and we would go and I kind of cringe thinking about it now because we probably disturbed a ton of wildlife that we shouldn't have. But we would go and pick around the rocks. We would go and see who we could find, little crawdads and tadpoles and all kinds of things. And like when I think of playing outdoors, it usually has something to do with walking by the water, playing in the water, something like that. I love that. It Also, I was like, are we friends? Did we grow up together? <laughs> as Addie knows, like summer camp was, was such a part of my life. And I also worked at the summer camp for like far too long by the time it was like end of college. And I was like, oh, gosh, I have to go do other things now. <laughs> One of the other things that you said, Lara, about it kind of makes you cringe now thinking about all of the wildlife that you disturbed. This is something I think about a lot. And I wonder what you think about. I mean, one, there are things that I've learned as an adult around staying on the trail and where to be and where not to be that are very much things that I like deeply believe in. And they just weren't a part of the conversation when you're a kid. And I thought a lot about when kids get to play, right? Like the idea of coloring outside of the lines and running off of the trail when you're a kid and what the experience of that lets you believe in terms of your creativity. I don't know. It's just something I, I thought about a lot and I go back and forth around too. And I, I do know that very often if it comes to water and places where like either a wash or a creek where water's already moving and things like that, it's not as the same as like you're stepping on crypto soil in a desert where things are growing slowly and things like that. But I wonder what you think about that too. I think that all of these leave no trace practices that we've had to learn as adults are really a symptom of the 
incorrect relationship that we as humans have come to have with nature. So that's not to say that prior to this industrial age, prior to this very consumptive age where we're just like destroying the land, to put it very bluntly, it's not to say that prior to this time period, people didn't respect the land and stay on trails and leave animals in their habitat. That's not to say that, but I think that there was room for more of the exploration, for more of the childlike wandering through the woods, off trail. I think that there was enough room in the environment for us to explore in those ways. And so I think it's very natural for children to want to do that. We want to run through the leaves. We want to tromp through the creek and splash and move the rocks around. And now looking back, I'm like, I wish someone had taught me better when I was younger. So I wasn't like rehoming all of these poor little crawdads and like disturbing their space. But they are fond memories. And I am glad that I was able to, like I said, explore the world around me in that way, in such a very tactile way. and in, um almost an unlimited way. And that's not to say that I wasn't also taught don't litter and respect animals and their environment and all those sort of things. It was just different. I think the rules have shifted for me a little bit in the way that I interact with the world around me or with, especially when I'm in nature. Like I said, I think it's just a symptom of the kind of relationship shift that we've had over the last few decades, hundreds of years, where we've just left such a harsh impact on the land that it has become so precious that we all have to be very careful and mindful about how we interact with it now. I really appreciate you sharing on that and thinking on that with me. It's definitely something I've thought uh, quite a lot about recently. And I still don't know how to like add this in, Addie, because I'm not... So I... Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say that because I'm helping to mother two young boys now, I still don't really <laughs> own the title of stepmother yet. So I'm trying to figure it out. But I have now two little boys in my life and watching them like play and interact with nature. It just makes me think a lot about like how I'm guiding them outside in a way that I never really was before. So yeah, I, I appreciate the thoughts on that. And it's such an interesting point, Laura, what you said about like, I wonder if there's a new way that we have a responsibility to teach the next generation and not limit them. Like, I love what you were laying out that fine line between I still wanted to run free and I'm so grateful I got to have that space and unbridled time. But there's also or and there's maybe also a way to be instilling in, in kids and in youth what be like the ability to say we're able to enjoy this landscape and we're also able to be giving back and be preserving it and sustaining it. And like, what does that mean? It's almost a great way to enter into that conversation at a super young age about what sustainability is from like mm -hmm. the age that you're playing with crawdads, et cetera. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. It was introduced to me pretty young. It was like, we'd go to the Smoky Mountains. It's the nearest national mm. park to where I live. Every summer, that's where we would spend our time. But I'd find a beautiful flower or this really pretty river rock that I just had to take with me. And my mom was like, if everybody came here and picked a flower or took a rock, mm. there would be no flowers and there would be no rocks. So we have to leave these here for the other people and animals who need them and for them to enjoy them as well. So like those life lessons were taught to me really early and I'm super grateful for that. So I don't think that childhood is too young to start yeah. instilling those things. Absolutely. I also like... I feel so much worry for this generation after us and the weight, the responsibility that they are going to have to pick up the slack of our generation and the generations before us. 
as far as it comes to like getting into right relationship with nature. So there's a little bit of that feeling too. Oh, a hundred percent. I've been super lucky to work with some amazing youth climate activists and in the past couple of years, mostly virtual due to COVID, but I've been at once, like I have, I share that worry and that sort of anxiety, Lara, that you were describing. I also have been so impressed by, like when I meet these activists, I'm like, okay, this is in the right hands. I'm sorry that you have to inherit this, but I'm also filled with hope each time I meet any of them. It's not a small group. I know it's a, a large group of folks working on this at a very young age, which again is this unfortunate case, but at the same time, pretty amazing to see these folks doing what they're doing. I also sometimes meet some of these people and I'm like, oh, okay, yes, can you be our future world leader, please? Because I trust everything you say and I want to be led by you and you have a great vision for the world. So it's, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. All right. That resonates for sure. So your identity as an outdoorist, I think one of the questions as you introduced yourself, you included digital educator and you included transracial adoptee. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how your identity impacts your choice to be a digital educator. How, if at all, do they intersect and impact each other? Yeah, they de they definitely intersect. I think my identity as a transracial adoptee has given me a very up close look at whiteness. I, a lot of the work that I do as a digital educator is to do with anti-racism. And so being so fluent in whiteness and having had such a close look at it, having been in rooms where people maybe overlook my presence and speak their minds when they wouldn't had other company been present, I think it gives me a little bit of a different perspective than some other folks. Um, just because I do have that insight. And I think it also helps when translating information, knowing what people might not know, knowing what people might be more able to understand, knowing how to relate it to their worldview. And that's not to say that other educators should be approaching it this way. It's not to say that folks should be centering the white gaze in their anti-racism work. But I do think that it makes what I do a little bit easier for some people to understand for better or for worse. I recognize that there are problems with that, but I do think that, yeah, th those two identities do intersect. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is something Faith and I talk about all the time. I'm white, and we're having an interracial dialogue on this podcast, and that was really important to us. And it's also so interesting to try to meet folks where they're at and have those honest conversations and that open dialogue. And like in our first season, we were talking about messy dialogue, raw dialogue, and we actually realized we didn't even get that messy. We're like still kind of surface level, which is maybe needed. Like it's actually, I think, needed for a lot of people. And so that is potentially something that we want to continue to do and just invite people into the conversation. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, your your posts and your digital education is so informative and it has such an accessible nature. And I'm admittedly, I'm saying this as a white person too. So this is what I want to dig into. It's, but you're not sugarcoating anything at the same time. I have definitely heard from folks, mainly white folks, that they turn off if something's too harsh or too abrasive or too fill in the blank. And I, it's just such a tension in the anti-racist conversation. How do you walk that line in terms of who do you want to be reaching and how unapologetic do you want to be? I think those, the, the posts and the education that you are putting into the world doesn't sugarcoat at all and is very straightforward and yet has that ability to reach a wide variety of audiences. So it's interesting that you're saying that understanding of whiteness, because I'm just curious what the the journey has been like for you to settle on how you approach these topics to the world. Oh, that's such a such a good question. <laughs> and to be honest, I, I didn't really think, okay, this is who I'm targeting. This is who this is for. I just had this in me. I needed to get it out. That's where it started. I've been an educator since I worked at summer camp. Since I was 16, I've been in some sort of educational role, be it with toddlers through college students to adults. I've been an educator and it's where I feel really comfortable is when I'm educating folks. It comes really naturally to me. So it made sense to include that in the digital stuff that I was creating. Um, But yeah, I don't aim to be palatable or comfortable for people. I know that by my nature, I am. I'm a light-skinned person by nature of colorism. People are going to agree with what I say more than they will with someone who looks different from me, even if we're saying the exact same thing the exact same way. They're just going to listen to me more. So like you said, I want to be accessible. I want people to be able to take in the information, but I don't want it to be comfortable or apologetic in any way. So what I've tried to do is get people in with the stuff that I'm putting out and then expose them to other creators who are doing similar and better work than I am to share my platform. That's where I would like to start pivoting things. I've tried to do that a little bit over the last year and I hope to do more of that because like I said, I know people will come and listen to what I have to say and I want to use that privilege to benefit other people, to uplift other creators, to give people messages that are harder to swallow because listening to people like me, who look like me, who talk like me, that's not enough. And I want to make sure people know that as well. 
Yeah, <laughs> I I resonate with so so much of that because it is a conversation I've had with Addy is my own awareness of my own palatability. And that's one of the words that I use. And it's something I've been definitely concerned about because I too, I'm biracial. My mom's white. My dad's black. I also feel like I have this proximity to whiteness, not only based on the color of my skin, but also based on my lived experience and my education and the place I found myself where I can speak on that and kind of translate between those two. And that's something that I choose to do. But realizing that A, it's not everyone's job and B, I don't want people to think, well, faith wouldn't say it like that. So you're not doing it right. Or I'd rather listen to faith. And I I think it's really important for me to say, look, this is one approach. We need all of it. Right. And I think, you know, it's a kind of like obvious example, but I think a lot about MLK and Malcolm X and I'm like, without the two of them and everyone else filling in, like all of these people, like Ella Baker and Stokely Carmichael and Carolyn Cleaver, like every kind of person is what pushes the fence or the wall forward. It's not just one kind of voice that pushes the wall forward. But I think that I definitely have some self-consciousness about my own voice. But I think it's interesting, the idea of at my most unapologetic this is still who I am. My tone doesn't necessarily change. I don't become someone else. So I think it's just for me, it's been a lot of not being too hard on myself that maybe I'm not like being, I don't know, unapologetic enough (laughs) or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that I resonate with that a lot. Um, Just trying to figure out like how to toe that line totally makes sense. And I've actually like taken a step back a little bit from creating educational content, not only for my own well-being, because to be honest, it was getting to be a lot, but also because I recognize that I do take up a lot of space in the digital education sphere that a lot of people have moved into. And I would, like I said, rather spend my time uplifting other people who are doing this work just as well and better than I could, especially on topics that I don't feel I should be speaking about. Things like colorism are just not my place to teach on because I benefit from it for better or for worse. That's part of why I've taken a step back from producing so much educational content. That's not to say that it's over forever, but um, yeah, I'm just trying to find the place where I can fit in and be the most supportive to the collective push, as you described it. I appreciate just how much consciousness and conscientiousness it takes to realize that. I think the question of taking up space and sometimes I I worry about this with when language becomes more and more mainstream, some of its meaning kind of gets shipped away. What does it really mean to take up space? But I think that is something too that as someone that I've always been like ready to raise my hand. And so from a young age, my dad's been like, sit on your hand first see who else has something to say, (laughs) tee other people up, like, then raise your hand. Are we the same person? Because (laughs) I would say that I too have a lot of, I call it big Hermione energy. Like, (laughs) my hand is the person in the air. You don't have to call on me, but I need you to know I know the answer. Amazing. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that so much. (laughs) Totally. Big Hermione energy. I do feel like I'm talking to very similar people right now. I'm like, wait, who's coming from which channel? Okay, got it, got it. Amazing. Oh my gosh. so funny. I wanted to follow up quickly on that question with something that I feel like we've heard a lot around digital education and education space, which is is this 
idea of it's not my job to educate you. And obviously that is true. And yet, in spite of that, you have chosen to educate and it's a part of who you are. And I wonder what you think about that statement and how you've also learned to educate and hold space for that. Yeah, hold space for that opinion or hold space for that. I don't know how to, what to call it, but to hold space for that approach too. Yeah, I think it's completely valid. And I feel that like for the last maybe four or five months, I don't think I've created any educational content. And I don't feel any guilt about that. I think that's completely fine. But what I would say for me personally, as an individual who has, like I said, been an educator for over 10 years now, wow, maybe 15 years, it feels like it's my job to provide education, not necessarily anti-racist education for white people, but like education is where I feel comfortable in that space when I'm teaching, when I'm working with people, seeing that light bulb moment go off for them or getting a DM on Instagram. Hey, I've never heard this perspective before. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Like that is where I feel comfortable. So for me, I'm like, education does feel like my job. Just like I might say, it's not my job to stitch you up after a surgery. Like I'm not a doctor. That does not feel right for me at all. Education does feel right for me. But I recognize that for other people, it's not their job. That's not what they want to do. And I totally support this idea that we shouldn't expect it from just anyone because they hold a certain identity or because we think they owe us an explanation. Totally. I think that doctor example is such a good one. And you're making me think about the roles map. It was like uh, mapping our roles in a social change ecosystem that was created by Deepa Iyer. I can link to it after, but I think when I saw this roles map of like how to be involved in a movement or how to be involved in a social change ecosystem, as they called it, it felt like such a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yes. I remember. I've seen it too. I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember even Faith, when we started this podcast, I remember talking to Faith and saying, don't like, I don't want to do this if you don't want to educate white people. This is not your job. And I can try to do this on my own and try to do the education myself or help others do that. Like, I think that's a really interesting nuanced question, too. But I'm conscious of whose job is this and who is wanting to take this up. And I remember Faith, your response immediately was like, no, I studied this. Like, I'm down for this. I want to have these conversations. And that was super interesting because I think there is this potential assumption that, I don't know, it's a a fine line. I saw a post, I think Faith and I were talking about this recently, but I saw a post that was like, is it at the time for like white people to step back and take a listen? Or is it the time for us to step up and talk amongst each other and educate ourselves and not put the burden on folks of color or folks in, in these communities? And it's a very interesting conversation to me, but I just remember Faith, your response being like, no, I'm in, let's go for it. Let's do this. We need to have this conversation. And not everyone is wanting to have this conversation, but like I'm wanting to have the conversation. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think similarly, I was a camp counselor for years. I've taught after school. I've taught like I tutored, you know, I've been in so many different educational spaces and studied right. representation. So right. it is like one of the the places where I come alive. And so why would I not be there? But to be, I just love the doctor example. It's like, (laughs) why would I stitch? It makes zero sense. Yeah. (laughs) To learn more about Lara, check her out on Instagram at lara.edmondson. 
In her bio, you can find many handy links, including her podcast, Let Us Rest, and How to Support the Soul Care Fund, which provides free therapy for BIPOC communities. Thanks so much to Lara. The Trail Ahead is created and hosted by us, Faith E. Briggs and Addie Thompson. It's produced by Anna Agogo at Adode Media. Stephanie Aguilar is our editor and sound designer. Podcast art is by Shar Tuiasawa. Check her out on Instagram at Punky Aloha. A huge thank you to our team from Merrill, our amazing partners who help us bring the trail ahead to life. Thank you also to our team on the visual side, Tyler Wilkinson-Ray and Fred Gorris behind the cameras and Jillian Sorrell who edits our video profiles. For updates and additional links, visit trailaheadpodcast.com. Send us a note via Instagram at at trailahead underscore podcast. And please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the trailahead. Thank you for listening and for spreading the word. Don't forget to check out our video profiles we make about each of our guests. And to all of our incredible guests, thank you. You make the world better. See you next time on The Trail Ahead. To hear the full episode, find The Trail Ahead anywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to follow the show.